Welcome to the Love Examine playlist. We're solving love one song at a time. Welcome back, everyone, to the Love Examined Playlist podcast. Avram. Hey, what's <laughs> happening? Everything's good. It's almost, it's almost, I feel like we're in summer mode, like we're feeling good. We can actually go outside um, and not wear a thousand layers. So I'm very happy that it's good outside. Um, we are looking, however, at a song. <laughs> Avram's shaking his head, just to say. All right, Charlie Puth. Featuring Selena Gomez. I know Selena Gomez. Don't know who Charlie Puth? Charlie Puth. Puth yeah, don't know who he is. Pop song, singer-songwriter, floofy hair, um, very funny on TikTok, um, prolific songwriter. Like, you know, like does a lot of stuff for other artists as well. And the song that we're doing is We Don't Talk Anymore. And Avram is mystified as to why I chose this song. However, I felt like the theme of it was, was a good one because I think I hear from people often, especially in the dating scene, that like you get to a certain point and then there's like nothing to talk about. And what is that? Like what happens when at the very beginning you have these flurries of conversation and everything to talk about? You can talk for hours. You literally can be on the phone for six hours and still have something to disclose or talk about or explore or entertain. And then it gets to a certain point where like now what? And so yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, just the title of the song even is a segue or a door into what does happen in a relationship when that initial shine excitement wears off and you're kind of living daily life and you're all caught up with each other. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think that's a, that, that's a good topic. Um, and, um, and I think if, if, uh, if you don't understand the process of what's happening, you can very quickly mistake that there's a problem in the relationship. Right. But in fact, it actually is pretty normal part of um, you're hitting you're hitting up against something in a relationship, and you got to get to the other side to understand what's happening. Most people don't don't understand that; they just see this as a red flag. There's something mm -hmm. wrong. We'll we'll, we'll get there. Um, uh, two things: a, it's a segue into the next song we're going to be talking about next week about uh, a breakdown of or a relationship breaking down, which is right. great. Um, I don't want to give the song away right now. <laughs> it's, it's it's a humdinger. No but spoiler Ellie, alerts here. Yeah, but I want to ask you something. Yeah. Um, because you mentioned uh dating and yesterday i was being interviewed by this um she's a i guess a relationship journalist in new zealand mm -hmm. and she wanted to talk about commitment phobia but she asked me a question i'm going to throw it at you because you said dating and i thought mm -hmm. this is good for the podcast the, you know uh, love examined uh, playlist so the question she asked me was um she she or her editor noticed that two three years ago her relationship articles on medium were getting about sixty thousand views and reads now in 2022, if she writes an article about relationships, it's like garlic to a vampire, a hundred views. And she goes, people are not interested. And I, and, and she asked me, what, what do I think? And I said, the truth is I'm a family therapist and a, and a marriage therapist. So I don't see that, but I read about it. I'm sure you have too. 
Young people aren't having sex. Young people aren't dating. Young pe- uh, the dating apps are having a problem. Um, when I shared this with my wife, for those of who are listening, my, my wife's a psychiatrist, but I want, I was curious if she saw that in her practice and she thought I was crazy, but I sent her four articles that have come out in the past three years where mm-hmm. researchers, not clinicians, but research so sociologists and this kind of thing mm-hmm. have echoed this, that there is something happening amongst young people where there was there's a, a lack of interest mm-hmm. in coupling up in this, which when we were growing up, of course, the big fear was venereal diseases and, you know, Teen teenage pregnancy, pregnancy and all right. this kind of stuff. Right. This is the opposite that people are saying that how do we get young people interested in each other? And there's all these theories. I, I'm just, I'm curious because when she said it to me, Ellie, and because I'm in a traditional community, which, you know, values and puts a lot of emphasis right. on family, I don't Same. see that. But when I work with a single person in my office, I do get a sense that there is something out there that's that's changing in terms of where um, young people prioritize mm-hmm. intimate relationships as opposed to career, for example. Um, I'm curious, it, what do you, do, does this make sense to you? Because she, she said this is, she, she sees it in her numbers and I, and I believe her. I mean, I, I think she said that she has to be very careful now in terms of writing relationship articles because mm-hmm. people are just not interested. What, what do you think? Look, I'm, I'm only going to be able to speak anecdotally, but I would say a couple of things. Number one, there's so much um, hand-wringing, and perhaps deservedly so, that this is the loneliest generation, interestingly hmm. enough, because the amount of needs that you can get met with your screen in terms of being entertained, in terms of being turned on, in terms of being distracted, in terms of taking up time that you don't know what to do with, feeling a sense of meaning and purpose if you're an activist, like so much can happen on your own now, financial security, protection, all of those things. I think one of the questions is why why a relationship, especially when coupled with that, what I see is an enormous amount of negative feedback about relationships in general. Like what are red flags? What are, you know, the toxicity of relationships that Mm. guys are terrible people? And why would you want to be in a relationship with one? And, you know, everything ends in divorce anyways. And so, you know, I I would say those two things. Number one, people have more, more independent ability to meet their own needs than ever before not always in a healthy way, but in a way that makes them sometimes feel like they don't need a relationship. And then coupled with that, a very negative rhetoric about relationships in general. Um, And I think those two things are a perfect storm for people saying, why would I bother? Now, here's a question I'm curious. So um, I tackled the question from a different perspective, although I have to say, I think you would have answered the question better than I did. However, then I went to, then I, you know, um, I, I put for a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you think. Yeah, you let me know what you what think. You said. I said that at least based on, again, my anecdotal experience with uh, couples in my office, the singles in my office, that something does change late twenties, early thirties, um, where, the allure of gaming, pornography, um, social media, arguing on Twitter, something about like, like an itch that you have to scratch up. Is this what life is about? Mm-hmm. That something about hitting your late 20s and, and early 30s, mm-hmm. that 
there's um, a reckoning with self and the meaning of my life. And, and I believe at least I, now, again, when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, it looks like a nail. So people are speaking to me as a relationship therapist. I, I have mm -hmm. a biased population, mm -hmm. but that's, I think that's what's going to happen is that it's not sustainable. And you hear, by the way, I, I don't think this is not just me talking off the top of my head. There's a reason why you got people like Joe Rogan, who's appealing to all these young men and uh, these subreddit groups of, you know, called, uh, I don't even know what they call it, something like no pornography or something, whereas like mm -hmm. they're swearing off all that or people mm -hmm. taking sabbaticals from social media. There, mm -hmm. There is something intuitive, I think, that people are going through right now that that they are saying to themselves, this can't be all, there must be something more. And as a family therapist, of course, I believe it's all relationship. I believe a life of meaning is relationship, not marriage. Let me be very clear. I'm not saying marriage, right. but relationship. And when you lack that relationship, a sort of malaise uh, settles in about meaning and about the purpose of one's life. So I don't know. That's my hypothesis. I think at some point that's going to kick mm -hmm. in. By the way, one one just little caveat. My 12, my 11-year-old uh, who's turning 12 was listening to me say, no, 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 it was Sammy, the nine-year-old. And he said to me, which I thought was funny because I'm hearing this a lot too. He's like, mm -hmm. yeah, because I was talking to Elisa about this. And he said, but dad, what about virtual reality? Isn't that going to make things more complicated? Now, I've heard, mm -hmm. I haven't seen this new technology a couple of podcasters that I listen to have, and they say what's coming down the pike mm -hmm. is going to take this problem and multiply it by 20 or 30. Um, anyways, those are my thoughts. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? What, do, do things change? Do you think when people hit their late 20s, early 30s, or do you think this technology will continue to um, rapture uh, uh, people? I, I think things change for some people in their 20s and 30s, depending on whether or not they want to have kids. I would say that's the mm. only thing. That's the need you can't get met unless that's... you have another actual live person in the project. Um, mm. If somebody doesn't want to have kids, then you could probably go into a virtual reality and, you know, kind of build an entire world around that. But I think the difficulty is that people forget the magic of actually being in person. And um, I saw this over COVID. I saw this with, you know, not being in a movie theater for years and being like, why would I go to a movie theater? I can watch everything at home. But then going to a movie theater and having that extraordinary experience of going through something with a bunch of people in person, like a performance and how magical it is when you do that in person with a group of people. And so I think, but it's so easy to forget how powerful it is to be in a room with another person, um, how live it is, how electric that can be. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I hope that the longing wins over the distraction. That's my, my hope, but it will remain to be seen what that looks like. Okay. Excellent. Good. Okay. So dating. And uh, we don't I, talk I, anymore. I derailed this whole thing here. Okay, yeah, we don't talk anymore. So how about that? I'm going to throw out an idea first, okay, and go. then um, uh, because I, I only really have one, one here, and then I'm going to throw it over to you. So, but but really, it's a um, it's funny because it's one line, but I think it opens up a door to an interesting thought. Mm. Anyways, so the line is I it's in the verse. I don't think it's in the chorus. Uh, what? What was all of it for? So uh, the lyricist is asking, I guess, after a relationship is over, and I think that it's a common question, mm -hmm. 
like sort of what the hell just happened here? What was right. the purpose of, of all of this? Now, I hear that question quite a bit as a therapist, and I think it's a good question, but I think that you have to think about the um, uh, uh, the source or the roots of the question. And that's what I want to just get out here for one second. So it's a good question. So what is the purpose of you know, inviting someone into your life and, and, and doing all this. And I, I, I think that you, you strip God out of the equation and religion um, and even kids. I think there is a psychological way uh, to answer what was it, uh, what was all of it for. So here's the thing. In the song, I think what's happening here is that the question is being answered after the relationship is over. And if you don't, if if the if you don't have a fundamental foundation of what what how do relationships work and what's the arc and what are they designed to do, then what you get is um, uh, uh, sort of a a plethora of regret and sadness when a relationship is over. And it really does seem meaninglessness. Like, oh, wow, I wasted three years of my life, you know, just to sit in my room with an old sweater and tears and anger, yep. right? And resentment. Yep. So that's one way to answer that question. Um, and I've had people, I've worked with people where a relationship ends and they're, they're, they sit, you know, they, they're coming to see me because they're full of NUI. Like they just, you know, that, you know, it just, there's no meaning to the whole thing. It's mm -hmm. meaningless. Like, you know, right. um, now I don't think that, I don't think that, but I come from a theory that says relationships are ultimately meaningful and designed to serve you in some way. But if you don't have a foundation, right. it really does seem meaningless. Another way to think about the question of what was it all for is to think about the beginning of a relationship. You know, what's it all for? The problem with that, of course, is that it's all uh, neurochemical. Right. Right. It's all um, fireworks and, and, fa and fantasy. Right. Right. So it's almost the opposite of what it ends at the beginning. The whole, your whole world is, it's all about everything because it's all projection. It's all how you're going to give me and change my life and all this. And, and that, that of course, has a whole bunch of problems mm -hmm. because again, if you don't understand the natural arc of relationships, one of the things that you don't know is that this thing is going to end. The euphoria is going to end, even though right. you might know it intellectually in your heart, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't think it's true. So that, that's a problem. And, um, and then of course, in the, in the, in the midst of a relationship, you get what the song is about. If you don't understand the natural arc of a relationship, what you get is at some point, what we call in my world, emotional gridlock, where you stop talking about the important things, you distract yourself to, to lower anxiety, everything orients around lowering anxiety, lowering discomfort, and keeping things calm which is pretty boring, right? Okay? So I, I was thinking about this and, and, um, I, and, and I guess my only thought about this is that I think it is very important for our generation. I mean, I consider Ellie, you, you and I, and all the younger, the youngins of our generation, where the, 
the utility of a marriage is no longer as important as it once was for our grandparents. You know, my, you know, where my grandmother married my grandfather because at the time, back in Europe, women weren't working the way they are now. She depended on my grandfather for a source of income and sustenance, and he depended on her to have kids or fulfill whatever religious principles that he had. The young people in my office these days, all of that is thrown out the window in this postmodern sort of world we're living in. So I think that there is a way to think about um, relationships, but what was it all for in terms of a self-growth type thing? Now, I've all, and you know this, Ellie, we've talked about this before, that, that I've always seen relationships as a crucible designed to create enough pressure to reveal our character and uh, and help us grow beyond the immaturity that we've inherited. Now, I, I, I think that's very important. But if you don't have that roadmap, then you are always going, going to be victim of these feelings that that come and go and and you know you're gonna be battered left right and center so i, I was thinking again that's my that's <laughs> my only real thought about this song but i think it's an important one which is the question of what was all of it for is a really important question but generally when it's asked it's usually at the beginning or end of a relationship and i think that the best time to really contemplate this question is before you even meet someone more of a, philosoph a philosophical idea of what exactly is the purpose of inviting a stranger into your life and um, uh, sharing life with someone uh, and going forward. So anyway, I, I think it's a good question. I think that the question is answered in the song where we prototypically think of a question, the existential reality of my sadness and my regret after a relationship is over. I'm not so sure you can glean that much out of that because in the song, as I'm sure you're going to discuss, a lot of the discussion becomes, why did you do this to me? How can you cheat on me? How could everything is you, 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 right? Which is fine. So far as it goes, I'm not so sure what one can glean from all of that you stuff. But um, so there's my thought. I think a good question. I think it's something that uh, is important to contemplate. Okay, Ellie. Yeah, I think I think that question plays into the question that I had around it also, which is if you don't know why you're in this relationship, then you're not going to know what to talk about when things aren't new. So meaning if you, like you said, if you have a paradigm, like I'm going into a relationship because I want to grow, I want to understand myself. I want to, you know, it's not a whole, it's not just all about you. Like you want to have companionship as somebody to grow with you that will be a mirror and a support system, like all of those things. But if you don't know that going in, <clears throat> then it's true because then you're going into a relationship potentially for security or for entertainment. And then when neither of those things are there, which is want to happen, then yeah, the question is, what do we talk about? There isn't anything to talk about anymore. Whereas if you go into a relationship with the intention of learning, growing, changing, there's always something to talk about because you can simply say like, wow, this thing happened today and I don't understand what that was. Or you're driving me crazy. I don't understand what's going on for me in this. Like how, what am I missing? And it creates like a much more expansive 
Like you get 30 more rooms to your house that you can go into if you think of your relationship as a house where you can talk about all kinds of mine, like minute, interesting details of how you think, how you feel, how you function that you won't get if you're just going into it for, for um, solace, security and entertainment. You know, we, we've, I mentioned maybe too much to a fault, uh, the late David Snarch's research on this kind of stuff. But one of the things he said that I, you know, it blew me away and I, and, and it makes more sense to me now, uh, the longer I stay married is that um, the only person that knows me to the depths of uh, I, I allow someone is my spouse. I haven't been with my parents now. I haven't lived in their house for you know, 25, 30 years, whatever mm-hmm. it is. My brother and I are close, but he doesn't really know me that way. Any therapy I had, yeah, they know me. But again, it's a very artificial environment. The person who really sees me without my masks and everything in my most vulnerable uh, periods is my um, spouse. And so they become very important, meaning that mm. their opinion of me and what they know about me becomes very important. And because of fusion, uh, I, I could become very weary about what they think about me. And so I start to shut down. Meaning, so in the beginning of a relationship, you're as much as you might be infatuated with someone, they're not important to you in that way. They don't know you in that way. So you're right. much more open with your ideas and everything's exciting and everything you're talking about is fascinating. Mm, that, right? That's interesting because like the barrier of risk is lower. It's very in a low. certain way, right? That's I mean, no, no, there's there's risk there. Mm-hmm. There's risk. There's the risk of I might say something and we might not make it to a fifth date. Right, like the, right? the rejection. Like, like, oh, they won't like me anymore. But it's a different risk that you're talking about. What is that risk? It, it's a it, it's it's the it's sort of like saying, look, you can go to you know you can go to McDonald's, right? I used to eat at McDonald's. You can go to McDonald's. That's an inside kosher joke. But you can go to McDonald's, right? And, and it's delicious. You can actually have seven Big Macs and the French fries are amazing. And, everything, right? and then you can have a really good meal with a good salad, right? And, and a, some good protein. It's the, the different, the qualitative difference, but they both taste great. You know, they both taste great. But in terms of quality and mm-hmm. and longevity is night and day in terms mm-hmm. of what you're going to get out of those two experiences. Mm-hmm. So, so the beginning of a relationship, things are more open because everyone's working off the fumes of novelty and sexual attraction and, and this sort of thing. But the, right. the thing that Snarch says, which is fascinating, but the person sitting opposite you isn't important enough to you yet. Meaning yeah. they don't know you in, in that way, in the sort of true I, Martin Buber way, that I thou way, in your, right. with, within your nakedness, quote unquote. Whereas right? they would know, whereas they don't yet know, they wouldn't necessarily know where to stick the knife, as you would say. No, right? they would, that's exactly it, right. right? I mean, they can say to you, you know, I don't think we're right fit, and it'll sting a bit, but like anything that ends after four or five days, you get over it within like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, a, a couple of weeks or something. Right. But, but, when you're when you are five, 10 years in and you're sitting there going, my God, we don't talk about anything anymore. Right. Well, the next question is, who do you talk about things with? Uh, so, of course, people question. in my practice, they'll always say, they'll go, I, I don't get it. Right. I talk to my friends. I talk to my colleagues. And mm. what what do we know about these people? They are not as important. And they also don't know all your vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, parts. Mm-hmm. There something happens in the the the. Um, the connection in a long-term relationship where we start to be very guarded 
It's it, similar, you know, how you, you break a leg, it heals, but you favor the other leg because mm -hmm. you, you are guarding the wound in a way, or, or the wound that's healed, but you're, there's anxiety about re-injuring that leg. Yep. I think that happens in a relationship where we get burned. An example, you're in a relationship and, um, and it, could be, it could be actually three months in or five years in, and you take a stand on something, you say something, and your partner gets very upset right? And the whole process is, and you can't go anywhere. Let's say you're married, you got kids, and you might not want to break up right away. So you're kind of stuck in it. And if, and if you don't know how to self-regulate your anxiety, and you didn't see this growing up, it's gonna be very painful for you. So you have two choices. One is to steady yourself, lower your anxiety, and stick with your original thought or whatever, and deal with the turbulence of a difference of opinion, or shut your mouth, don't bring it up again, Right. And that gets removed off the things we can talk about or do. Right. So that's like my in my analogy of the house as a relationship. That's a room you can no longer go into. The door gets closed. That's you right. put a lock on it. We have five other rooms we can right. go into. For now. Right. For an egg. Well, <laughs> well and this is <clears throat> if you want to read. A, um, I mean, again, I, I, I tell people um, anybody who is thinking of getting married, you know, I, I really rec strongly recommend yeah, I know Sue Johnson's EFT stuff is popular and John Gottman, but in, for my money, uh, David Snart just passionate marriage. The first mm -hmm. six chapters is required reading. If for no other reason to understand why sex will become ultimately boring and what do you do about it? Because what happens is sexually, spiritually, cognitively, you start shutting those rooms down in a relationship mm -hmm. where all those rooms were open in the beginning. Right. right. And now actually, there's like, ooh, I'm not going to talk about that because that always provokes this response. And it, ooh, I don't want them to ask me about that because I don't know how to answer that. So that room gets closed. And slowly but surely, there's less and less rooms that you can go into. And now there's this question what do we talk about? Well, exactly. Now, what's interesting, Ellie, this doesn't happen for everyone. And so this is this idea of a continuum. So people mm -hmm. who are more anxious, right? They're more accommodating to other people's pain. And, and you know what we call that? Empathy. So, so we call it empathy. And as, as, uh, as the I'm late... laughing because his face, when he said that word empathy was very funny. Well, it I mean, was very like, like okay. Well, <laughs> the you know, quote so... unquote word that everyone uses to describe many things that don't always necessarily include actual empathy. Well, it's like, you know, I mean, the, every time I hear, uh, and, and God bless her, she's doing good work. I mean, but every time I hear someone say, Brene Brown said, I want to take an ice pick and stick it into my forehead because I have couples in my office that batter ram each other into submission by saying, <laughs> you're not, you, you don't respect me. You don't have empathy. And yet mm -hmm. basically what they're saying is you need to soothe me. That is your job. Your, your right. job is to soothe me and I will soothe you. And what that right. means, everything you're scared about, I won't say or do. And right. everything I'm scared about, don't ask me to do it. And if and we'll you keep... do, you'll traumatize me more. It, that's right. And then we're right. going to close all the doors. And your metaphor, we're going to close all the doors in the house. We'll just sit in the living room, right? Make salted popcorn because butter, you know, butter's not good for you. Totally we'll traumatizing. We won't watch any shows that are challenging. And we'll just, and we'll live our lives comfortable because that's your job to keep the temperature at a nice, a nice level. So we're all just comfortable. Fine. Right? Everyone's yeah. fine. Everyone's fine. You know, as, as um, uh, this, uh, this, uh, it's funny, this journalist I was speaking to in New Zealand said, you know, we were, she was asking me like, what, what's required in a, in a, um, in a substantive uh, deep relationship. And, and I was saying to her that it's the ability to be able to be your true self, to know what your principles are and deal with the anxiety of that. And to say what's on your mind with your brothers and your parents. And she said to me, she's like, Oh my God, she goes, I don't know if I, she goes, 
you know, from New Zealand, they're all from England, right? They, I guess once upon a time, they all, they all uh, uh, moved to New Zealand. And she said, you know, the English upper lip is that you don't say anything that upsets anyone. Ever. You know, ever. <laughs> and she said, you know, she goes like, we could be depressed, we could be anything, but, mm-hmm. but just keep it nice. Mm-hmm. Just be nice, yeah. you know? So th- keep this song- and carry on, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So this song, um, uh, you know, when, you know, it's interesting because he said, one of the lyrics is we don't talk anymore like we used to. I just heard you found the one you've been, you've been looking, looking for. Oh, it's such a shame that we don't talk anymore. Well, it's not a shame. I mean, it's a shame that maybe you're sad, mm-hmm. but it's actually not a shame because if what's happening in this relationship here is that we have spent our entire time doubling down on shutting doors in this home. So all we have is one or two topics we can talk about, um, different ways that we are physically intimate, just very, very narrow, very, very narrow, right? That's gonna get really boring. And at some point, someone's gonna get itchy. This is how it happens in relationship belly. Someone gets itchy and they sort of go, you know, I'm not thrilled with this. And if your partner aggressively comes in and says, you can't do this to me. This is not what we signed up for. And you shut your mouth. You are ultimately going to, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to become so symptomatic in the relationship that you're either going to become depressed or panic attacks, whatever the hell is going to happen. Or you're going to start looking outside the relationship for someone else. Mm -hmm. You're going to start looking for something else to feel alive again. And clearly that's what this this song is about. So when he says it's such a shame that we don't talk anymore. No, that's where he, the lyricist, my opinion, Mm -hmm. doesn't understand something. The reason why you're not talking anymore is because you contributed in some degree with your own anxiety about shutting doors in this home. Right. And you don't hear this in this song, right? It's just, oh, woe's me. And, you know, all relationships. Do you think that's why people end up having these, what, you know, people call it now an emotional affair, right? Like where you have somebody on the internet that you talk to all the time and you disclose all kinds of things. Like you never really are in the same room with them necessarily, but it becomes what they've now coined, like an emotional affair. And it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of the time that can happen because all of the doors in their actual relationship, many have been closed for, for reasons on both sides of that relationship. And so rather than figuring out how to open the doors, they just go into another house altogether. Yeah. Well, look, nothing new is under the sun. Right. I mean, everything is right. recycled. Okay. So the idea of an emotional affair was being discussed by, by uh, Dr. Marie Bowen called triangles. So mm-hmm. his whole uh, triangles is one of the uh, eight concepts in family systems theory. And the idea essentially is if you and I, Ellie, are in a relationship, whatever, it doesn't make it, it doesn't have to be a marriage, it's a friendship. And I say to you something, let's say this, take this podcast. Let's say I say to you, Ellie, um, I'm thinking of introducing this novel idea and you think it's a horrible idea, right? But because of my kind of like the song, (laughs) no, no, not like the song, Um, but I say something to you and you think it's a horrible idea, right? But because of my own anxiety, because I'm a go along to get along person, I go, okay, you're right. Even though deep down inside, I don't think you're right. Or or let me rephrase that. I think my idea is a good idea, but I don't Mm -hmm. say it, right? Or the opposite. You're like, I can't hear this. I can't hear these ideas. This is too much. You know, and I really, oh my God, I'm driving her crazy. So what inevitably is going to happen is I might try to bring it up again. You'll shut it down again, or I'll shut myself down again, mm. but the itch doesn't go away. So I'll call my friend 
and say, oh, I got to record this podcast with Ellie and and that's the emotional affair. The, the right. affair part isn't that I'm talking to someone else. It's that you don't know. You don't know why you don't, don't you know, because it makes you too anxious or me too anxious to talk about it with you. So this is really important. It's not that in a marriage or a relationship, you can't have friendships. Friendships actually are very, very important uh, in a a dyadic relationship because Mm -hmm. it spreads some of the energy around. Mm -hmm. The problem is when your friend becomes a surrogate spouse because you can't talk about these things with your spouse because they get too anxious. So when people talk about emotional affair, they're correct, but it's not because you're speaking to someone else because you like playing, let's say, for example, you know, like my wife likes going rock climbing. I I find it very painful on my, on my forearms. She, she really loves it, right? She should be able to go rock climbing with her friends and I'll watch the kids. Everything's great there. Right. But if when she's rock climbing with her friends, she spends half that time complaining about me because I'm a you know fuddy duddy or whatever or like I'm a you know I'm a boring hack right and then she comes home and doesn't share any of her concerns about our relationship with me that's an emotional affair even if it's even though she's straight and it might be with other women so it it, 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 it this is really important and I think that um, uh, this idea that this is a new thing uh, I, I got to tell you I, I remember using that talking about emotional affairs in graduate school in the early 90s. So I think this has been around a a long time. But just one more thought about this, because it's interesting about this thing. Uh, When couples come to my office, there's infidelity. (laughs) Every couple wants to spend the first three sessions, you know, saying, is that an affair or is this an affair? Right. 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 So uh, my job when people come in and, and, and talk to me about this is to is to get away from the content piece, because we get all caught up in this idea of, ah, if we can label an affair, you've done me wrong in some way. And, right. And it's ultimately proven that you are the problem in this relationship, period. That's right. <laughs> I and win. So the, yeah. And they get, and so you get into these debates of like, but it was just a kiss. There was no tongue. And I'm like, look, guys, folks, 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 folks. You know, and I have to like, you know, guys, we could spend nine sessions on this. I mean, you know, you'll pay me. I, that's fine. You're not going to get anywhere with this. And, I, and right. this is where I, I introduce the concept of triangles. And I have to say, Ellie, it's like not for every couple, but for most, it's the antidote to stop that kind of conversation because mm. then people get this intuitively. It's like, yes, sexual intercourse as an affair is going to cause a, its own set of problems so i'm not in, i'm not being an idiot here yes if right, there is a physical relationship the, the intensity of that experience when no there's marriage. a greater chance the relationship is going to end if there if there's a sexual physical experience mm-hmm. but but the important part that i try to help people understand is that because of both of your anxiety, a third person was brought in to stabilize the diet, to keep anxiety low. And you're both responsible for that thing. The couples, by the way, Ellie, who can hear this, not only can they work past the affair, I've worked with these people long enough, they will say to me that in some way, it was a blessing in disguise that this thing happened because we've taken our relationship to a deeper, but we would have never got to this deeper place if we didn't understand how we were both using third people, dogs, golf, all sorts of ways that we do to to distract ourselves from this. And I think this song is a good example um, of of how this happens, where you just stop talking about anything because everything becomes anxious. Right. And by the way, Ellie, we're singing our society right now. Loaded with like all kinds of water under the bridge. Like, oh, every time we talk about it, talk about this, this happens. Every time we talk about this, this happens. And now everything is the things that you can't talk about. So I think you're right. 
which is which is what is so bloody maddening about what's happening in universities where yeah. there's this idea of words or violence mm -hmm. and everything is subjective in terms of my feelings mm -hmm. and so you can't talk about anything because everyone everything's litigious so you can't talk about anything where i hear yeah. this which, which i thought was fascinating was when i started to hear comedians say that it's very hard to be funny when there's all kinds of things you're no longer allowed to touch or talk about um that comedy becomes very boring because it's all it all has to um not press into people's trauma or their anxiety and aside from how you might think about that or where you feel you fall on the scale um i do think it's interesting because yes there is an, a, a part of what makes things funny and electric is when it presses into the places that make you feel a little uncomfortable and then the question is what do you do with that and that i think is what that's where you decide what is this relationship going to be is this going to be about growing or is this going to be about just making each other feel good all the time yeah no no i, I agree um oh boy this is a whole uh, i'm, I'm gonna uh, i'm gonna I'm going to pace myself here because this comes up a whole bunch of different avenues, but um, any other ideas about the song that you want to share? No, I think actually I wanted to ask a question because I do find the other thing that I hear come up around this idea of we don't talk anymore and why um, doors will get shut in this anal analogy that we're using. Um, where one person has an interest in growth and meaning and reflection and trying to understand. And the other person either doesn't understand that or they're not interested in that. And they'll make a claim like, oh, you're trying to psychoanalyze me. Mm -hmm. I've heard this multiple from multiple people like, oh, they're saying I'm an armchair analyst or they're trying to analyze me. Um, how what do you see in your office do you have you heard this feed type of feedback because then it feels like now you're in a relationship with someone who absolutely doesn't want to self-reflect because they've decided that it's like amateur uh, psychoanalysis and that's not what they're into how do we respond to that what is that yeah, sure. No, I hear I, I hear that all the time. It's one of the reasons why uh, I tell couples when they come into, my, especially high anxious uh, couples, when they come into my office, I tell them when you leave here, if you can't contain yourself, take this is when I used to see people in person, take separate cars. Mm. They, they would think I'm crazy because what would, what would happen is they take the same car. That. They'd get into the car after the session and two blocks out of my office, they would say a fight breaks out into the car, but something they just spoke about yep. um, in my office. And, and they'll be, no, you're not listening. Avram said, your mother, mm -hmm. you know, and a whole fight breaks out. So um, this is a very uh, complicated and deep topic, but, but the gist of it is, is this, no one likes when their partner is in their head. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun in the beginning, you know, like when you're courting, it's yeah. your second date. And, and like, oh, my like, God, you read my mind. Yeah. And there's just something, oh, so delicious. So you get me, you understand me, you know, mm. at that deep level. But when, when, you know, think about your parents, how maddening is it when, you know, your mother, or your father does some sort of um, uh, a put down as a, you were always like that, Ellie. Mm -hmm. You were all, and you're just like, I'm not like that. You, you want to scream like, like, you know, I, I am more than your uh, uh, archetype of when I was seven years old. It drives right. Meaning, people crazy. Right. So in that case, someone's in your head, but not with the intention to understand or be curious or, or reflect. They're in your head to sort of pin you. 
and hold you somewhere. Yeah, but Ellie, this is what happens in your example. This is what happens all the time. I find mm -hmm. you have you have you have a couple. One of them is reading all these relationship self help books, but they're not reading relationship self help books for themselves. I mean, they mm -hmm. kind of are, but a lot is I gotta figure out my partner. I gotta figure out my partner, right? Because they're, they're an enigma to I'm me. I'm fine. They're weird. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or even more subtle. It's like, you know, like I'm doing this for the both of us. Mm -hmm. One of the beautiful, beautiful things that I love about family systems theory is the work is about self, almost to the degree that it sounds selfish. Mm -hmm. I don't think it is. I understand how some people can think it is. Mm -hmm. The idea is that if I'm reading a book on marriage, it's about trying to understand my part and whatever the hell is going on in the relationship. Right. And my family of origin issues that haven't been addressed. Mm -hmm. Even if I discover something in that book that says something about my partner, the best that I can do, and it doesn't get better than this, is I read something. Right? Would, would you be interested in hearing it? Most people will say no. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not interested, but, but we don't ask what we say is uh, what we, we either wait till there's a fight and we go, I've been reading something and you know, <laughs> you, you are know, just <clears throat> like your blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> yeah. Or we leave it out on the breakfast table in the morning and we highlight it with a highlighter saying, you know, you know, you better read this yeah. if you want to improve the family. Okay. So, <laughs> I can't tell you how many friends have said, I left the book on his pillow. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all that kind of stuff. Right. Sorry. So, um, so one of the things and I borrowed this from, uh, from David Snarch, uh, when people read my books, or they'll say, I'm, I'm, which, which of your books should I read? Um, and what they mean is, which of the books should we read? And right. I always tell yeah. people, if you're going to read my book, you're reading it for you mm -hmm. and your family. If your partner wants to read my book, that's fine too. But it is not a prerequisite for the work that we do together for both of you to hold hands, go into chapters, buy the book together, buy the same highlighter. Like right. that is not the point. And, and it's also a not a gun. It's what? It's also not a gun. Like you can't use your information to as a weapon against your partner. Well, they right. do, but no, you're not supposed to. But that's to. what I'm saying. Like, you know, this idea of what you're saying, like you turn information into a weapon against your partner in the relationship rather than, like you said, using it as a way to understand yourself and just handling that piece of the business. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's why I call shenanigans and all that kind of stuff. What you just said, you know, this idea that, you know, I don't get it. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to improve our relationship. Why, why is she so resistant to my good efforts? And mm -hmm. usually what I discover when I say usually like 99% of the time, what I, what really is happening is no, no, you're trying to change your partner. Mm -hmm right? Because you believe if they would just change, your life would be better. Mm -hmm. Well, human beings, it, it, at least it, when you're finished with the novelty stage of a relationship, mm -hmm. he, human beings don't like to be told to change. Right. They just don't. We, we resist that. And by the way, it's people who have no backbone and no self who just go, okay, okay, whatever you want. Right. right? Those are some of the quote unquote most challenging clients I have in my practice where mm -hmm. they're nice, but they have no self. There are no self, meaning their whole self is just kind of preoccupied with what do the kids want? And everybody's, of course, running, you know. Right, which is another version of immaturity and avoidance, even though it looks like people pleasing. Like it's just, it's, it's the opposite side of the person who demands all. 
Well, yeah, they'll, and they'll, they'll phrase it in all sort of nice flowery sort of things. You know, they'll, they'll talk about love and they'll say that, you know, right. but it isn't the most important thing for my kids to have everything, like as much as I can give them. And, or um, in, in our tradition, we, we use the word shalom habai. So I'll have religious right. Jewish couples say, no, peace in the home is, is a primary principle. Well, look at the results you're getting, mm. you know. So shalom habai as a principle that comes from higher thinking, wonderful. But shalom habai is to keep anxiety really low and you keep shoving your partner's face every time they bring up the idea right, right of having a date night and it makes you so anxious to go into that that you keep saying don't ask me that's it's causing me too much anxiety so i call shenanigans on this whole idea when people say um why are my good efforts being uh, trumped at every turn when i'm just trying to you know read these books or attend therapy and mm. and and work on myself no what you're doing is you're doing these things Right. And you're doing it with your eye um, towards your your partner. And that's always going to fail or it, it just it's going to cause more problems. Yeah. And so. I think that the compassionate piece of that is clearly you're in pain or unhappy or things don't feel like they're OK. So you're trying to figure out what to do. But the difficulty is if you're just used to looking outside of yourself when you're uncomfortable, rather than like sitting with like, why am I reading a thousand books a week right now and trying to figure out my partner? Maybe there's some other way to approach this. But in the end, it's really because people are feeling disconnected or unhappy or uncomfortable or anxious. It is quite clear, Ellie, that in this podcast, in this dyadic relationship, you are the compassionate, empathic one. <laughs> I think it's quite clear from that email that we got where they said, that man keeps cutting her off at her legs. So yes, uh, thank you for, um, for bringing that in. It is, compassion is important. Um, but, uh, okay, good. Excellent. Thank you so much, Avram. I, I think this was really interesting. I thought we got a lot good. out of it, even though you were dubious on using this song. I thought it was a lot of fun. No, it was, yep. Uh, okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on the Love Examine Playlist podcast. If you would like to hear uh, the songs that we talk about in each episode, please check us out on Spotify and Apple Music for the actual playlist of all of the songs. And if you like the podcast and you want to suggest a song or a topic, please get in touch with us. All of the information is in the liner notes and you can find this podcast, share it with friends, rate us and review us on Spotify, Google, and Apple podcasts. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>